When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network. A podcast that has a lot of the same ingredients of cough syrup around the Industrial Revolution, meaning that it's primarily made up of illegal components. I am Jared Stormer of the Block M Podcast Network. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, who is basically a galloping centaur with the same brain function as Sean McVeigh and the bottom half of a prized racehorse known for its longevity and <laughs> desert races. How the hell are you, brother? I'm good, man. That was that, that one got me. That was a good introduction. I mean, it might be your finest work. I don't know about my finest, but it you know it wouldn't be melted down for glue in the horse race of life. Let's just say that. <laughs> good to be here with you, man. Uh, this should be an interesting episode. Here we got a lot of random stuff to cover. In the back half, we're going to have Kellen Voss of the Block M Podcast Network on to try and sift through all things basketball. But on the front end, uh, the quick hits are just kind of weird this week. There was uh, an entire era of a a recruiting assistant director that began and ended. And uh, we can talk about that entire era just in this one podcast. Shemi Schembechler, no longer with the program. He was also hired by the program since we last spoke. But uh, walked in through the front door and out the back after three days. What are your thoughts on this entire situation? It is, it is so ridiculous. I mean, it's obviously like the right decision. Once some of the tweets he had liked came to surface, the uh, Jim Crow sympathies and everything else. I mean, his account's off the internet, but those are going to live forever. 
Um, I think it just kind of shines a light. Like maybe next time, do your due diligence. You know, do a couple keyword searches on a person's social media account. It's not that hard, but I mean, they nip this thing in the bud. His three day tenure you know, just kind of is going to disappear like a fart in the wind now. <laughs> yeah, you're just a shade under a billion dollar evaluation just for your athletic department. Can we have somebody on on staff that can do a Google search, maybe a quick Twitter scrub, you know, pay the intern, you know, a little extra money or just, you know, get him a Jimmy John sub for sticking around after work to see about this guy that you just hired to make sure he's not a mouth breathing racist. So probably <laughs> for which... a low bar here. I mean, this is a university that's also been through a cheeseburger controversy in the last couple months, as well as I think Matt Weiss act, trying to access his AOL account or his MySpace account from high school. So I don't know what to make of all these controversies. Yeah, I don't know which one's the dumbest of the controversies, too. I still feel like cheeseburger scandals on a little bit different level, but we haven't really heard much about that since the cheeseburger scandal. This is pretty dumb, though, all things considered. <laughs> this is high level of dumbness. Would you rather be fired for a liked tweet or a cheeseburger? Uh, I think a cheeseburger is going to play up to the crowd a little better. Maybe you can get a cheeseburger endorsement deal and kind of make it a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, being fired for being a racist is just kind of going to make you a pariah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got fired. I like this tweet that was sympathetic to apartheid. Didn't go over well in HR. <laughs> but how do we not catch this? How is there not somebody there to be like, hey, guys, yeah, I see you're, you're wanting to bring on old Shemmy Shembeckler. I get it. Great name. Uh, that, that's a name that totally makes sense. Let's go ahead and get him into the building. I'm sure people are really going to connect with this 60-year-old man who's liking a bunch of Jim Crow tweets and stuff. This, how is that guy going to do anything recruiting-wise as well? Like the, It's just ridiculous. The whole situation. I'll be happy to just forget that this one ever happened. Yeah, the bar was low for a guy named Shimmy, but damn. You did not did not clear it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's over. Uh, let's move on. That's really all we got for quick hits. Uh, in the back half, we'll talk about it's not even a quick hit because now things have reached critical mass with the basketball team. So we'll talk about that. Uh, obviously, some news that happened there. Uh, wanted to talk about the best GMs in Detroit, and we can also do best coaches in the Big Ten now. Uh, here in the first half of this, because last week I was talking, uh, I thought that Troy Weaver was probably the second best GM in Detroit. There was some pushback from that. And uh, a lot of this, there was some discussion happening on Reddit. Uh, the Pistons fell to fifth overall in the lottery odds. And for some reason, a lot of fans were blaming that and laying that uh, on Troy Weaver's doorstep, which is just kind of weird. But I did want to have this discussion and actually like parse this out. What are the top or who are the top GMs in order in Detroit right now? I think Brad Holmes is at number one. Is that the only one we can agree upon? I believe so, because this is such a fluid situation. Like it's going to change like week in, week mm -hmm. out, month in, month out, season in, season out. But I think Holmes has to be the leader in the clubhouse. Although the NFL draft, especially for you and I, kind of left us a little concerned as it were with his top spot in these rankings. Yeah, I wouldn't say concerned because, I mean, he's proven to know what he's doing in that spot. This one was a little underwhelming for me just because of some of the positions um, that he drafted and where he drafted him. But he definitely knows more about football than I do. And so much so that you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he stays at number one, even if you're like Ugh, Jack Campbell, a little, little high for my liking. Um, Steve Eiserman or Troy Weaver at number two, I feel like is the discussion here. I feel like it still has to be Iserman. Like, 
although it's like it's not happening as fast as like most people would like to see it happening with the turnaround with the Detroit Red Wings hockey. It's like everyone still has the utmost faith in him to do it. And plus, he only took over the position in 2019. So it's like it's, he's slowly getting there. The team has improved every season under his guidance as general manager. So yeah, I think you still kind of trust the process with him right now. Yeah, I think that, and you can also take his uh, tenure as a GM in other locations and yeah. be like, all right, we expect some of that continued success here. So he gets a little bit of carry over there. Um, you know, being a hometown legend, I think that that's going to give you a little bit more buy-in. So yeah, I think that was uh, the right move is to move Iserman just above Troy Weaver. And Troy Weaver is, I mean, he has definitely improved the state of the Pistons from when he got there. The Pistons were in the worst place of any of these teams. I mean, because the Tigers kind of outperforming expectations this season. The Pistons post Blake Griffin were in an awful place. And now there's some talent there. Um, there's been some misses, particularly in the 2020 NBA draft, but that was a really difficult one. That was the COVID year when nobody yeah. could really get in and talk to these players. So there was a lot of misses there just in general. Maybe that shouldn't have been the year you went all in and, and took three first rounders, you know, when you have the least amount of intel. And, you know, it looks like all three of those guys, Killian Hayes, uh, Isaiah Stewart, and Sadiq Bey are not misses, but no one would call them home runs either. Um, so, you know, it's been kind of hit or miss. I think everybody likes Cade Cunningham, but he's only played 72 games in two seasons. Jade Nivey and Jalen Duran look like real hits. So I think that he needs to get credit for that. But then there's some bad stuff in there, like trading Bruce Brown, currently balling out for the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals for a second round pick. So I think dropping him to third is the right move. <clears throat> and I think the the wild card of all of this, because everything you said is completely right and taken is just Scott Harris with the Tigers. Like, we have him last year now, but it doesn't feel like the basement-dwelling position it has been in years past. And it honestly feels like he could even usurp Troy Weaver before the start of the next NBA season if the Tigers have a 500 or above season, especially considering where they were last year. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know much about him. I had to read up on him just for this conversation. And, uh, you know, he didn't make a ton of moves that are impacting the Tigers right now. A lot of these are still Alavilla's guys. So their success this year, I mean, success, they're, you know, 25th in the power rankings. Improvement. And it's an improvement, but they're only like three games out of a playoff spot either as well in, in a pretty brutal division. So um, I'm going to give it time. He can easily move up this list, you know, with one good offseason. And that is one good thing about being a, a baseball owner or GM is that I think the turnaround can happen pretty quickly in baseball. I think like a couple moves here and there and, uh, you know, you improve your depth in, in your pitching, especially your pitching rotation. I think it can happen quickly. Um, if you were to be a GM of one sport, where do you think you'd have the most success? God, this is so tough because I see the difficulties in each in each sport. Like, I feel like you just like off the rip would want to lean like hockey or basketball just because of the less amount of variables, less amount of players to deal with. Because, you know, with football, the roster is so deep. But I definitely think I'm best suited as just a amateur fan talent evaluator as a football person to do that the best. Like with basketball, I would be so all over the place and so in like up my own ass at times, I would definitely screw that up. Yeah, I, I definitely could see you being a better football GM because you'd have your philosophy, you'd stick with it, yeah. you know, you would, yeah, you would, you would know exactly what you want that team to look like. I think I could do NBA just because, like you said, the variance, mm -hmm. like there's a pretty clear consensus on the top five players. And then after that, it's kind of just throwing darts 
you know? So I, I think that that one, there's probably a high likelihood of, of success if you draft high for a couple years in a row, which the Pistons have. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them in the back half, but you put out an article ranking the Big Ten head coaches. You uh, you texted me about it. It was a great read, as all of your reads are over on the website. Go check them out. Um, but I wanted to talk through that because it was a fun conversation you and I were having there. And I think that, like, for the most part, people kind of know who the top tier guys are. You kind of know who the bottom tier guys are. But in the middle, it's very interesting. There's some newcomers that really shake things up. And then there's some guys like Kirk Ferentz and Pat Fitzgerald, where you really got to look at where they're at and some of the, the history of what they've done to properly rank them. So how do you want to start this? You want to start at the bottom and work our way up? Let's do that. I think that's where the better discussion is, is if we're starting towards the back end and we kind of move up through it and we get to the meat in the middle of it because it was such a fascinating exercise to go through like bit by bit, get a snapshot of where they are, get a pulse of the program, and then just try to rank them, you know, as accurately as possible with limited agenda at least. Limited agenda. We're always going to have some agenda. So let's start at 14 here. Uh, down at the bottom, it's got to be one of the teams that are going to be at the bottom of the standings. So that gives us Tom Allen of Indiana, Greg Schiano of Rutgers, or uh, what is the name of the new guy Ryan over Walters. at Purdue? Ryan Walters. Yeah, I have it right here. Um, so I would say it's probably one of those three. Um, I know you're not a big Mike Loxley guy. Um, there's There could be an argument for that, but I think it's probably one of these three at the bottom. It 100% is, man. In mine, I went with Tom Allen just because of the trend of the program right now, uh, just where they're kind of going. It just seems kind of hopeless. Like Tom Allen can get savvy and get a couple games here and there. He can do certain things and, and snag a win like he did against um, Michigan State last year with only throwing two forward passes. But it's just like you don't feel good about the program. The recruiting is always going to be a struggle at Indiana. And besides the the COVID year, they were kind of the plucky upstart for a few years in like leading up to that. That kind of just seemed like the magnum opus. And now we're just coming down the other side of the mountain now. Yeah, uh, I wasn't a big believer in what was going on in their COVID year. Never been a big believer in Tom Allen. He's a cheerleader type of guy. Uh, I can't think you're some sort of schematic genius when you throw two passes against Michigan State and Michigan State's porous secondary. Like that, that can't be a great X's and O's, guys. I'm fine with Tom Allen here at the bottom. Uh, who would be next? I mean, th is this where you put Ryan Walters just because we don't really know? There's no proof of concept. I went with Shiano here. I went with Walters just above him in one spot just because it's kind of like a neutral position. Like, I just don't know. I can't gather a sense. And just full – I mean, maybe she, there's a case for Shiano to be last on this list. But full – I like Greg Shiano. Like, I've always liked what he's selling. I like how, like, passionate he is, like, to return to Rutgers to try to replicate that – that lightning in a bottle he had in the early 2000s way he built that program with Ray Rice and just made them a contender, which you never thought you would ever see. So I have Shiano here. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't put him any lower. I couldn't put him any higher. Yeah, I agree. He would also be maybe a one seed if we, all these coaches were going to go out there and just fight with fisticuffs. I think that he would probably be a one, two seed at the lowest. Dude, when he yeah. came across the field last year and was like yelling at Ryan Day, it was one of my favorite moments of the college football season. 
Yes, I enjoyed that as well. You know there's some backstory there. I'd like to hear it. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with Shiano here and then Ryan Walters. Um, those two could be interchangeable, I think. There's no real argument uh, for me on either one. Rucker's very difficult place to win, so I think that uh, that's why you've got to consider him there. The, uh, only reason, after... I, the only reason I kept Tom Allen at the very bottom is he's the only coach on this list that has gone 0-9 in Big Ten play. There you have it. I mean, backing it up with numbers, too, and the fact that I, I just don't like the guy. It doesn't seem like a good hang. <laughs> I mean, it seems like valid reasoning to me, and like the numbers back that up. Yeah, just seems like a white bread and butter for dinner kind of guy. Just like boring. Nothing nothing exciting. Milk toast. Uh, who do you think comes next here? Where are we at? We're in the Mike Loxley. Unfortunately, like, where does Pat Fitzgerald? When does that discussion start here? He can't be too much higher on the list. So this... This these three, I could see a bunch of different directions. Like, like you and I had I had a good back and forth about it, like where, where we thought, where we landed. And before I give my reasoning why, I'll just give you the rankings of where I put them. I put Mike Loxley at eleven, I put Mel Tucker at ten, and I put Pat Fitzgerald at ninth. I like that. Uh, Mel Tucker certainly needs to be down here right now, getting further and further away from that eleven win season that seemed to really just come on the back of one guy. So I think that that's the right place for him. Um, Pat Fitzgerald at some point is going to start to lose some of that equity, but I think that we're still holding on to a little bit of that here. Um, Loxley, explain Loxley below those guys, though, because Loxley coming off a better season than both of them. So with Mike Loxley, it was very tough because he's coming off a better season, but his better season was still only four and five in the Big Ten, and that's like right around his average during his tenure. Like his overall record at Maryland is atrocious. Although they have been getting incrementally better, he's still 21 and 28 overall, which isn't the which isn't the worst, but his big 10 records 11 and 27. And it's like they could be on the verge of turning the quarter. He could be the name to watch to jump up, but with that 11 and 27 record being there as long as he has now since 2019, Mel Tucker still has more, you know, big 10 wins already. So it's just very tough to move him up at this moment. Yeah. And if I were going to defend Loxley, which I'm really not here to do, that's not my place. I, I've got other valuable words that I could use this mouth for. Uh, but I would say Maryland's a very difficult place to win. Once again, being in the Big Ten East and you know the, the teams that you're just, you know, you're going to play every single year, that Big Ten record, considering you've got to play Michigan, Penn State and Ohio State every year, or maybe you'll get lucky and miss one of them. Tough place. But I'm fine with that. Um, I would personally move Mel Tucker down, but maybe I'm just, you know, yeah. petty. <laughs> maybe I'm just Tom <laughs> Petty. Uh, but Mel Tucker currently 12 and 13 in the Big Ten. Um, that is markedly better than 11-27, but fewer years and trending in the wrong direction. It could very well, there could be movement in this area. And with Fitz above them, man, like if you'd done any season before last year, you would clearly have Pat Fitzgerald probably in the top five just because how hard it is to win at Northwestern. I mean, of all these programs we're going to say that about, Northwestern might be the hardest. He still has a winning record there. He's 110 and 101. Like, last year was just such a stain, though. Just the 1-11 the with losses to the Southern Illinois Salukis in Miami of Ohio is just very glaring. But the only reason he's not ranked lower is because he's re reached the Big Ten Championship game twice in the last five years. And that's something only Michigan and Ohio State have replicated. 
doesn't seem possible to even do that at Northwestern, but in a division where nobody wants to take control, opportunistic coaches that are generally just very sound and have a fundamentally sound football team like Pat Fitzgerald generally fields, they're going to stay in the mix. Um, so I'm very excited to see as excited you can be for Northwestern football, excited to see what they do this year to see if hopefully he can kind of right the ship and get back to at least being serviceable and respectable. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a fine place for him um, at number eight. I think this is probably where you get into the, the PJ Fleck, Brett Bielma discussion. Um, how do you see that? Yeah, this is exactly in that order. It's Fleck at eight, Bielema at seven. And like, you know, like you, you hear the, the noise around PJ Fleck, and you know, he seems like seems like a fine guy, you know, kind of weird, but like a lot of good coaches are. Like Harbaugh's kind of weird, but he's our weird, you know. So you kind of own that. But with Fleck, man, like they've had good success. Like they were nine and four last season. But the one thing that just holds him back is the records, the middling records against a lot of the Big Ten West teams. He's four and two against Purdue, which is solid, three and three against Wisconsin. 0-2 against the Brett Bielema-led Illinois, and the worst one is he has never beaten Kirk Ferentz in his career. Wow, that says something, and I mean, goes to show you why we're going to have Ferentz obviously above P.J. Fleck, because <laughs> Ferentz is finding a way in that Big Ten West to get those, those conference games, whereas P.J. Fleck, you know, had some good seasons, has also had some teams that I think were pretty talented. I mean, the peak of the Mo Ibrahim era, Mm -hmm. um, was a pretty talented team. So did they underachieve? Did they achieve exactly what they, they should have gotten to? It's very difficult to say. I do think P.J. Fleck is a good coach, though. And uh, I, I think that Minnesota is probably happy to have him. And it's just one of those things where it's like, is this what Minnesota is? You know, is Minnesota, they're literally 26 and 26 in the Big Ten under P.J. Fleck, the most mid of mid. And are they just kind of okay being there? Is this a good spot for them? I think maybe it is. Here's a fun trading places for you. If you flip-flop, you change positions with P.J. Fleck and James Franklin, what do the programs look like at Minnesota and Penn State? A fascinating what if. That is a fascinating what if. I don't know how different it would be. I really don't. Like, I'm not as high on James Franklin, but, like, the wins are the wins at some point. Yeah, that is a fascinating one. Like, or, I mean, flip PJ Fleck with a lot of coaches, and it's a pretty fun exercise to have that discussion because I don't really know how good he is, but I, it's pretty clear that he's at least solid. He's at least a B. He's very confident, excellent motivator. I think he does a good job at getting buy in from players. Like, you kind of like you're around him in that energy. It's like, okay, I get it. I can go to war with this guy, and players can relate to that. So it's good for the Big Ten West just to have somebody like pretty solid like that year in and year out. Yeah, at number seven, Brett Bielma, I have rib absolutely god. the rib god. I have no notes. The man whose wedding vows were written by his butcher. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a this is a man after our own heart. Um, nine and nine in the Big Ten. So just like PJ Fleck, he's you know exactly dead even there. Doesn't obviously have the uh, the tenure there. But if you counted in his Wisconsin tenure, I think Bielma could even rise higher. Yeah, and the thing is with Bielma, Illinois hadn't won eight games in a season since the Bush administration. And like he, it took him two years to revitalize the program to that level. And he also remains the last Big Ten West coach to win a Big Ten championship. Like that has to count for something. And like, I mean, just the fact that Illinois were, were where they were last season speaks to like what he can do as a head coach. So you had it in your article, him seven, Matt Rule six. I think we should argue to take Bielma up a peg. 
it's it's a fascinating one to discuss because Rule has like the college ranks. He's turned around two programs that are really hard to win at. Like he's had nothing but success at the college level. And Bielema has that Arkansas tenure in the middle there, which is kind of like Rule's Panthers run, except the NFL with like just they really struggled. And I don't know, man, I place a lot of value with Rule's turnaround at Baylor because you and I remember how grim that situation was. And he just in two years turned them into a contender. That's fair, but are we not ranking the Big Ten coaches here? So we should be taking in the coaches and their success in the Big Ten, not in the Big 12. We don't know what his success is going to be That's in the Big a good 12. Point. Brett, Brett Bielma has had success in the Big Ten. And as much, I mean, if you're taking, like I said, his Wisconsin tenure into account, he should definitely be above Matt Rule. But honestly, this is something we should have discussed before, you know, before your article. But it's nice to have the, you know, the on-air pushback here. I think there's at least a discussion there. Yeah, why tell me privately what you can do and embarrass me publicly? I mean, that always works out. <laughs> so no, it's 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 awesome to have it. But like, this is the ranking for these guys. Like, this is the tier we're in of these good coaches that have revitalized programs. Before I think we get into a very clear and distinct top five. Like, if this isn't anybody else's top five, I mean, there's just it's just wrong. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's maybe an argument for Bielma over Matt Rule. I, it's it's not something that I'm going to die on. I'm not going to die on that hill. But then these top five are the top five, and I don't I don't think there is an argument really. So Ference at five feels right. Is there an argument for Ference over James Franklin at four? I wish there was. Like I worked really hard to find one. I'm not even going to lie to you. Like th- from this exercise, I just came away very impressed with Kirk Ferentz. Like diving into the numbers, and I know you did as well when I told you he's more likely to win ten plus games than he is to lose less than eight. And that's a long sample size. I mean, he's been there since the '90s, literally, and he's just been adapting and changing ways. I mean, the godfather of zone running. And it's just like the recent success that, that kind of worries me. Like, it's like they've made the Big Ten championship, we all know, from 2021. But it's like Penn State has churned out three 11-win seasons now under James Franklin in the Big Ten East, which is a harder place to win. And it's like, while I don't think he's a great head coach, he's an excellent recruiter. And coupling those two can get you to 11 wins. Yeah, this was a debate we already had, and you're absolutely right in your reasoning there that 11 wins and doing it three times, you just can't scoff at that in a difficult place to win. You know, we're talking about with Maryland, how hard it is to win there. Well, I mean, it's it's difficult to win at Penn State, too. And, you know, maybe they haven't won on the level that Penn State fans would be hoping. You know, there hasn't been that college football playoff berth yet, but they're right there on the doorstep. I just don't think James Franklin, because I watch a lot of Penn State games. I know you do too. And mm-hmm. we've certainly watched Michigan, Penn State. We've rewatched those a ton. As an in-game coach, I would rather have Kirk Ferentz over James Franklin. Kirk Ferentz is knocked down a peg by the fact that he is just absolutely committed to this nepotism bit of employing his son as an offensive coordinator. So I can't move him up. I cannot move Kirk Ferentz up because that's on you, man. That's on you, bro. He's too high in the dad rankings. That's the only thing it's hurting him. It's like high, high dad ranking. If he stopped believing in his son so much and fired his ass, like he'd be in the top three of the Big Ten coaches here. <laughs> Need him to be like Matthew McConaughey in Tropic Thunder, where he's just super disappointed with his son and doesn't want anything to do with him. Like, that's what you need to be with Brian Ferentz at this point. Just just cast him out. He'd be the Nick Saban of the Big Ten if he could do that. <laughs> if you could just cast your son out, just disown him. Yeah, that's what he needs to do, and then he can overtake 
James Franklin in our Big Ten power rankings, which is, look, that's why you go to work. That's why you take a job is, is for these power rankings that we give. But I think you've got it right with Kirk Ferentz, five, James Franklin, four, and then Luke Fickle at three. Explain this one to me. I mean, I'm I'm there, but explain it for for you know what why what your reasoning was, what you were thinking on this one. It's like the case is, I mean, it's taken as well here. Like we haven't seen it in the Big Ten yet. That's for granted. But like this is the last year coming up of the four team playoff. He took Cincinnati, a group of five team, to the four team playoff and was competent against Alabama. And he's going to go down in history as the only coach to ever do that when it expands to twelve next season. And I just. I can't help but reward that. I mean, that is I mean, literally unparalleled. He's the only coach to do it. It was such a hard place to play. He has a good eye for talent. I mean, he got Sauce Gardner right out of right from under our nose in Detroit and brought him down to Cincinnati. So like I don't know, like I think the team will be good this year at Wisconsin, but just like I think it's gonna be very stable, man. Just kind of like the Bielema, the um oh, who was the coach? They just let go. What was his name? it's already escaping me. Paul Christ? Yeah, there it is. I think it's going to be like that kind of tenure where it's like it's going to be consistently eight, nine, ten wins year in and year out. Just really never miss a beat with Fickle. They, they could even reach higher heights like the 11-win season there playing in the Big Ten West. A lot of good points in there. The fact that what he did at Cincinnati is unprecedented. And another like kind of sub point there that's uh, very interesting is that a lot of this stuff in this four-team college football playoff era is just going to be records that never get Medigan because you know we're going to we're expanding to a 12 team playoff so there's just going to be this one little niche period of history where there's a lot of records that'll never be broken that's always fascinating like when they used to play um world game world series uh that went to nine games and stuff so there was all these opportunities for pitchers to get saves i'm going off on a diatribe but very interesting point there (laughs) this is out of the blue after all but yeah luke fickle is going to be excellent there i guess like i'm a little interested to see how this goes with bringing in like an air raid type of offense Offense, at least with the offensive coordinator that, coordinators that he's brought in, and if that takes some time. But once this thing gets going, I'm totally with you that I just don't see him having under eight, nine wins as a floor for this team under Luke Fickley. He's just really solid. At least until Ohio State has a vacancy. At least until Ohio State has a vacancy, which we could put on them literally next year. So maybe this is a short-lived discussion. Um, at number two, Ryan Day. I, I think that that's this. Honestly, there might be a fickle over day argument. I can't do that solely because of this one stat. Like Ryan Day is one and two against Jim Harbaugh. He's undefeated against the rest of the conference since 2019. <laughs> like he hasn't lost to anybody else. Like that is absurdity. I don't think it's ever happened in the Big Ten. That is crazy talk. Yeah, man, there are some really good coaches in the Big Ten just in general. And uh, yeah, you're right. I don't really have much of a pushback there. There's nobody else that can even find a way to get him. No, no. my best comp was Day may have been born on third base, but the rest of the conference consistently struggles to hit doubles. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that one. That was really good. Some of your finer work. Um, Yeah, I mean, you would say that maybe there's an argument for Day over Jim Harbaugh, but the two wins over Ryan Day and the recent success, 51-17 and in the Big Ten for Jim Harbaugh at number one. Um, Took a minute to get to the level that it's at now, I think would be the one, if you were going to have any pushback and say anyone else should be at the top here. But this is ranking where they're at right now, and Jim Harbaugh has a firm grasp on this thing. His finger is on the pulse 
And I think he's coaching better than he's ever coached. I think that his like confidence in his team and in picking staff members outside of some guy named Shemmy has been <laughs> never been never been higher. So yeah, he's at the peak of his powers right now. He has to be number one. It's it's so crazy to me when I was ranking these coaches, like thinking about after 2020, like where would Tom Allen have been? Where would Pat Fitzgerald after another Big Ten championship appearance have been? And would Jim Harbaugh have been outside the top 10 after a two and four season? I, I think it's valid to say so. Uh, we did the discussion. We didn't like write anything about it. Like you wrote the official article this time around, but I remember having that discussion. We had Fitzgerald in the top five. You and I were so high on him after getting to that um, big 10 um, appearance there, the big 10 championship appearance. But um, here's a, here's a fun question before we kick this one to break. Is this the Apex Mountain of Jim Harbaugh? We're big Ringer fans, and on the rewatchables, they talk Apex Mountain, the time when a person has the most juice in their career. Jim Harbaugh's had a pretty interesting career. Is this his Apex Mountain? It's it's either – it's I think it's got to be the Super Bowl appearance, the right? The Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's this or the Super Bowl. If we would have made the national championship, or definitely if we would have won one. one. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's in contention, though. And like to think of the depths that came from a few years ago to now – is just insane. And again, he has to have the top spot. He's two and one against Ryan Day. First coach to have a winning record against an Ohio State coach since uh, the Scott Cooper era of the late 90s and early 2000s. So yeah, this is, these are the good times, my friends. These are the best of times. Um, real quick before we go to break, you have to explain a concept. We touched on this last week. I really like this. You've been grinding tape to the point that now I think it's time to put your expertise onto tape. So uh, if you're ready, let's do this. I am, and his name's John Cooper, if anybody cares. That's how, that's how little I care about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, For this week, wanted to touch on a play that everyone's very familiar with. Donovan Edwards' touchdown run against Ohio State second half. The first touchdown run, which was, what, 72 yards or something like that? It was a monster. Uh, explain the concept there and how that's going to play a factor this year. So it was a 74-yard touchdown run. And, I mean, everyone is everyone is setting up like it's the classic Joel Klatt call now of, oh, man, Jim Knowles has to have his finest series in this case. <laughs> and I, I love what Michigan did here. Like they just line up in a very simple standard formation. They put one receiver to the top, two at the bottom. And then to clear up space where they're going to form this hole is they bring CJ at the top. Instead of blocking, they just bring him on like a slant route to clear out that side and also attract some safety attention. And then you were running a play called duo. So they have these double teams on the inside. And the center guard combo block of Zach Zinter and Olu Oluwatimi is hang it in the Louvre, hang it in your bedroom, hang it wherever you want because it is just a master class what they do on this block to clear up some space by completely taking out the defensive tackle, completely kicking up to the linebacker, Jack Eichenberg. Uh, what, what were they calling him? Johnny Two Hands or Johnny One Hand or Tommy Eichenberg. Yeah, it's how little I care about this program. <laughs> just He takes a completely horrendous angle on this and runs right into the chaos. And then Donovan Edwards just shoots the gap by the time the Ohio State DBs look back and understand what's going on, having like, accounted for Cornelius Johnson coming across the field. It's a foot race. And then Lathan Ransom takes an angle. I mean, I mean, you talk about a bad angle. Whatever the opposite of right is, wrong, that's the angle he takes on this play to make the tackle. And what my favorite thing about this, I know I'm ranting here, is it's it's the simplicity of it. It's this is a Michigan bread and butter play. Like there's no power. It's not, they run split zone a lot as well, but there's no power, there's no lead. 
It's just the offensive line, strength on strength. We're going to run the ball here. And that's my favorite part about it. So we should probably expect to see a lot more of this concept this year. I mean, we got a lot of the same yes. players coming back. You mentioned that Olu Olu with Timmy was huge in this play. The fact that he's able to hook his man and just kind of seal up that or seal up that side to make sure that that crease is formed. How is that going to work with a new center there and like a new center guard combination? Is that going to take time to get going? Do you see that being something that you can lean on right out of the gates? It could take some time because even pre-snap, Oluwatimi is pointing at Tommy Eichenberg, like letting know like this is the man. And that's when he comes off the double. He just eliminates Tommy Eichenberg on the play. I think it'll take some time. But uh, Drake Nugent was on Jansen last week, and he was even a higher-graded run player last year, according to PSF, uh, Leprechauns, and Star Scale. So whatever that means. But Nugent is a, just a complete dog in terms of like every sense of the word. Like loves the physicality, loves the run blocking, loves the mental aspect of it. I think it'll take time, but Michigan's non-conference schedule sets up so perfectly. By the time they play Rutgers, I think it'll be a well-oiled machine again, especially on the inside next to Zinter and Keegan. Yeah, once again, the schedule sets up very nicely. And even though we don't have a ton of turnover, letting the new offensive linemen that are coming in, particularly the transfers that we expect to start in Nugent and Henderson, letting them get used to the other guys, you still have Zinter there. You still got just a ton of returning experience in general there that's going to be able to get them caught up to speed. So yeah, I would expect a lot more of this, a lot more of this. So we'll keep doing these. We've kind of started with the, the bread and butter plays last week and, and continuing this week with the duo runs we'll, we'll get more into what you expect to see i like this little feature though we got to put your your knowledge out there for the world to hear i'm glad i'm just not doing this you know in my spare time for nothing i actually put this to use during the summer months but yeah man i enjoy it i, I love it i love talking about some split zone concepts they do what they really do with escort blockers in motion because whew, sharon moore is giving you a lot to think about on every play whether we realize it or not Outstanding, sir. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got Kellen Voss coming in. We're going to switch over to basketball. This may actually be the lowest point for Michigan basketball. Definitely the lowest point since we've been covering it. We're going to try and find some optimism because that's what we do here. I'm Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Breaking news, people. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpets by going to manscaped.com and using the code MNB20 for 20% off and free shipping. Look, I'm a man that knows the importance of a beard. The beard ties the face together like a good rug ties a room together. It's the unifying bridge between chin and scalp. I've yet to see a man's face made worse with a strong beard in my lifetime. And it's the only facial hair that will never go out of style. It's time to tame your mane because no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped Pro Beard Kit. All starts with the beard hedger thing is a beast of fixing faces. First off, the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Plus it's waterproof. So you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium coated T-blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency. That brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. 
There's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse, easier to damage than your hair on your head. That's why this kit has made shampoo and conditioner specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replete those natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a beard who's brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm Pomade Shape Style Moisturize Tame Your Sculpted Look. Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 length. Good people listening to Out of the Blue need to take a moment to shout out our sponsors for this podcast, Home Field Apparel. In case you aren't familiar and you've been living in a cave somewhere in southern Utah, they're a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. Not only is their stuff comfy, but it's officially licensed gear. So you don't need to mess around with some of the imposters that are out there, and they don't mess around with their design selection. The Homefield team studies the history, traditions, and legacy of every school, takes that information, they create thoughtful designs that tell a unique story of each university. Homefield has some brand new Michigan designs that you will not find anywhere else. That's just the facts. From t-shirts to hoodies and crewnecks, they have it all, so you can proudly represent the maize and blue wherever you go so if you want some brand new good looking michigan swag head over to homefieldapparel.com and use the michigan 15 for 15 percent off your order that's not just for one item that's the entire order so stock up while you have this offer again that's 15 percent using the promo code michigan15 at homefieldapparel.com all right, coming back on Out of the Blue, would like to welcome in one of our longtime friends and frequent guest, Kellen Voss of the Block N Podcast Network. Looking dapper as always, the hair is in place. The man is a titan of industry and a titan of the low post. Good to have you here, sir. Thanks very much, guys. I got a I got a mic for my birthday from my dad. So I and well, both my parents, but yeah, I got a mic for my birthday, and my dad picked it out because because of how much because of how much I appeared in this podcast. He's like, I want to make sure you sound great, so. Thanks a lot for shout, having me again. Yeah. Shout out to your dad for getting you the mic. Yeah. You sound like Russell Crowe booming at the crowd from the center of the Roman auditorium. It sounds tremendous. I would hope that I have more uh, perspective than Russell Crowe, but we'll we'll see we'll see how we we'll see how this plays out, but uh, great point and uh, tremendous as always by you. Uh, we wanted to bring you on to talk some basketball here. Things are not in a great place. I'm not just going to sugarcoat this or, or try and present this in a way like maybe this could be good. There was, there was an attempt by us when Hunter Dickinson transferred to, to bring in the Ewing theory. Andy yeah. and I floated that out there. I don't know that like we were really talking ourselves into this. But now Caleb Love isn't coming to the University of Michigan. I don't know if that is from admissions. Hopefully you can shed some light on that. But he's not coming now, and there's really no semblance of a plan. So we're in an absolute low point here. Where does Michigan go from here? What do you know about the Caleb Love situation? I mean, I don't know a ton about it. I've been following along with the reporting like what you guys have. Um, We know 24-7 has been reporting that it was an admissions issue, and there were certain credits that he didn't offer and certain credits that didn't. But I'm not going to speculate on all that, whatever – the, the main the main point is Caleb Love's not going to be playing with Michigan next year. And like you said, it it, it does it does indeed suck because like Michigan lost four of their top uh, six scorers 
from last season in Hunter Dickinson, Jet Howard, Kobe Bufkin, and Joey Baker. And you were hoping that Caleb Love was going to take a lot of that scoring load. As as complicated and as as flawed as a player as he is, you were hoping he would fill some of that scoring load. And now you're going to have to rely a lot on Doug McDaniel and Terrace Reed and Will Cheddar and you know some other transfer role guys and Demari Burnett and Trey Jacks. I see Andy squinting his face at me like like he's he's hating this as well. And you don't have to write about every game of it, so you know spare <laughs> me that. But um, yeah, I mean it's 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 looking bleak right now. And this is this is a prove it year for Jawan Howard, and it's not off to a great start. No, Kellen like. My concern here is really just based in the trends that is kind of developing with the admissions, especially as it pertains to basketball. Like you have Terrence Shannon last year, then he gets into Illinois. You have uh, the Papa Conte issue in recruiting this year. And now Caleb Love, when it was, it felt like it was all but assured. He put out the, uh, the pseudo confidence tweet that he was still coming. Like what is going on? Because Michigan football doesn't seem to deal with as many issues as Michigan basketball does. I mean, Ayabi Yoki was able to get on Michigan football campus like a day before the semester started. So I don't understand why it's so different for the two sports. I mean, Michigan's a lot like most uh, most at most athletic programs out of the country. Football is king and exceptions get made for football and those exceptions don't get made for other sports. And it's, it's been the case throughout the entirety of Juwan's tenure. You saw it last year with Terrence Shannon. And it really sucks because, like, they're doing their best to scrape by. They're doing their best with, you know, this was a team that didn't make the NCAA tournament last year. And they lost six guys from last year's roster. And with Caleb Love decommitting and Papa Conte decommitting, like, there's so all of a sudden there's so many open spots in the roster to fill. And it seems like admissions is not making the same exceptions for basketball as they are for football. Now, the basketball program hasn't been very good over the last few years. Yes, they made the Sweet 16 two years ago, but that team was, you know, that team was there was the trends of winning a game, losing a game, winning a game, losing a yeah. game. We talked about it on this podcast. That team wasn't the greatest. And then last year's team was was flat out bad for a good portion of the year. So when you don't produce on the court, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt that football gets. And that's that's just the reality of it, unfortunately. Yeah, it does feel like there's a missed opportunity here where we're pretty sure that the the community would rally behind a Michigan basketball team that was competitive on the floor. Like there is the money to get it. Now, how they they bridge this gap is going to be very interesting. But in the meantime, they've got to find a way to get a competent product on the floor next year. As you mentioned, Juwan Howard is on the hot seat. I mean, if he wasn't on the hot seat, he's certainly going to be on the hot seat yeah. if this season starts out rough. But now there's nobody on this roster that averaged over 10 points per game. Who's going to be the focal point of this offense next season? I mean, it's going to be Doug McDaniel, right? I mean, he's the next logical choice. He averaged 8.6 8. games points per game last year. He showed flashes last year where he he led Michigan in scoring in a couple of big wins, like the big Wisconsin, not the Wisconsin, the big Rutgers blowout uh, when they were at Piscataway. He led them in scoring in that game. And throughout that stretch of the year was like the best time of year for Doug McDaniel. And he was making threes and he was driving to the hole and he was getting better about dishing the guys and, and playing smarter and playing better basketball. Um, you can never, I don't think it's fair to, to assume that you can expect guys like McDaniel and Terrace Reed and Will Cheddar to take the same sophomore leap that Kobe Bufkin did. But sophomore year is really the year where it's like, if you are a legit basketball player in college basketball, sophomore year is the year where you start to figure it out. You know, you're used to the speed of the game. You're used to the play calls. You're used to the, the travel and the hecticness of the Big Ten schedule. 
I think what we can look forward to this year is watching Doug McDaniel and Terrace Reed, two roommates growing together and watching their games get better together, watching Doug McDaniel set up Terrace Reed for post plays and set him up on pick and rolls, watching Doug McDaniel grow as a point guard and find guys like Will Cheddar in the corner and find guys like Namari Burnett. Last year was a little bit similar to what we saw in Frankie Collins, where it was like it was really fast and it was really hectic, and it got it got the job done a lot of the time, but he also disappeared in a lot of games. This year now, Doug is Doug is that guy, and I'm excited to see how he responds to that. So with Doug being that guy, where does Jalen Newellen fall into the fold here, especially coming off an injury? He was the starter before he got injured when Doug, Doug took his place. And also, what is your expectation for Yusuf Kayat in year two? Because Jared and I still have a lot of stock in him. We haven't sold it all yet. But Why haven't we talked to Yusuf Kayat yet? What are we doing like, here? We're getting a, a little nervous, though. So where are you with Newellen and Kayat next year? Um, you know, in terms of talking about next year, you know, it's, it's important to remember that yes, the portal is currently closed. People can't enter the portal, but guys that are still in the portal currently can still commit to places and they're that still Rutgers kids in there, right? Yeah. The Rutgers kid just joined, uh, uh, Cam Spencer just went in there as a late addition. Uh, the guy that's been on that, that I'm sure you guys have seen mentioned is Ray J Dennis, the guy from Toledo. He was the yeah. Mac player of the year, led the Mac in assists, uh, averaged almost 20 points a game with Toledo. We saw him in the NIT game Michigan had. He's a really good scorer. I was talking to Vaughn, our, our, our editor-in-chief at the site, about it the other day. He's basically a Kirkland brand version of Caleb Love, right? Like, he he does all the scoring. He gets to the three levels. He, he, can, he, he can carry you throughout the scoring process of a game. If Michigan was able to land a guy like him with one of their three open scholarship spots, that would be amazing. That automatically boosts this team potential up. We, at, this, at the time of this recording, we don't know where he's going to commit, but Michigan's been heavily rumored there. If he doesn't commit, I would say that the idea of playing McDaniel and Llewellyn together on the court becomes a lot, you know, the idea that they, they probably spend a lot more time together on the court where they kind of trade off who has point guard or duties. Maybe one of them gets set with a point guard and one of them has more scoring opportunities. Um, maybe you keep Jalen Llewellyn on the bench and have him run the second unit. And there, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Maybe you you move, you slide Damari Burnett over to the two. Maybe you play George Washington a little bit more at the two, the 2023 commit that's coming in. There's a lot of options that Michigan has now in the backcourt, which is something they didn't have last year. And with Yusuf Kayat, man, I know you guys are big on him. I haven't seen a lot that I like. Um, I will say that in the, the game, I was there I was there in person when he, in the NIT winning over Toledo that he played in. And he granted, he was playing out of position. He's not traditionally a two. He's probably more of a three or a four. But everything was just so slow for him. He was running plays wrong. He was late on defensive rotations. He just didn't look like he was, he was, a, he was a half second or a second and a half late on passes, which in college basketball is an eternity to be late on passes. He, I just need to see more time for him on the floor. I just think he needs more time in college basketball to be able to thrive because he really didn't have – he didn't really play much in meaningful minutes this freshman year. I think he could eventually get to that point with the potential that we saw with him playing for the Lebanese national team. But next season, I don't think we're going to see a ton from him. He'll come off the bench a little bit and play five, ten minutes a game and might stay in a little bit longer if he becomes a Will Cheddar-like spark plug. But I don't know if I see that happening quite yet with him. Look, Maybe that's, that's pessimist in me, but I, I look, uh, that's all fascinating, but you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to besmirch the Lebanese laser on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Lebanese laser. That's how they happen right there. That's how a nickname is unfurled. Uh, look, you, you, I, everything you said is not inaccurate about it. Yusuf Kaya. I was buying more into what he did over in the FIBA tournaments and for the Lebanon team and just playing against high level of competition. His defense is what I'm buying into. So yeah. I think that he will improve and look, there's 
of the players that we could pick to have like a breakout season, you mentioned Doug McDaniel being who this offense probably gets focused on. But if you could pick one person to have like a breakout season, wouldn't the Yusef Kayat season probably be at the position you need it to happen? And his skill set being a big six nine six ten wing defender be something that could help this team tremendously, especially if he can shoot even serviceably. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 if Yusuf Kayat does make that leap and does eventually improve and become a reliable guy come Big Ten play, he's exactly that small forward type that Michigan doesn't really have on their roster right now. He exactly fills that need perfectly. And if he does continue to improve, there is a there is a with the way this roster shakes out, he could end up starting at the three if he does end up playing to that full potential. I don't know if that'll happen right away. It probably won't. But it'll take a little bit of time and take a little more reps to get used to college basketball. I, I, I hate to bring him up again, but it took Kobe Bufkin a whole freshman year to get used to the speed of college basketball and get used to running Michigan plays and get used to defensive rotations. Yusuf Kayat played in, what, 10 games maybe this year, and it was mostly garbage time. So, like, I I think he still needs more time to to get ready and, and, to, and to be fast. In terms of breakout guys, I want to see more out of Terrace Reed. I want to see him be more than just – the big man that grabs every rebound and, and and is a fan favorite who comes off the bench. I want to see him get get the ball in the post. I want to see him improve his mid-range shot. I want to see him become a competent free-throw free shooter. I want to see him continue to improve his lateral quickness on defense and be fine with guarding a, a small forward or power forward the majority of the game. I want to see him continue to improve because if him and Doug McDaniel both jump two, three levels in their game, then all of a sudden this Michigan team isn't as bad as we thought they would be. I think one of the most important things is something we touched on before, and it's really how they fill out these last three scholarship positions. I can't uh-huh. remember a team in recent history that's like this late in the year, or I mean, I say late in the year, it's May, but like this late in the game where it's like they still have these three vacancies. Like, is there a chance they don't fill them or they give them to like, I don't know, the managers on the team? I mean, there is certainly a chance that they don't fill them, right? Like that that's always a possibility that you don't fill them it kind of be dumb if they don't fill them because there's no, it's not like they lose. It's not like they gain something from not filling all the spots. You know, Dennis is obviously a priority for them to get. Uh, I, I believe it's Nakamwa is a Tennessee forward who played a lot of posts at Tennessee, averaged 10.8 points a game. I wrote about him this past week. He participated in G league elite camp, but wasn't invited to the NBA draft combine. So he will be returning to college play. That's a guy you want to look at because as much as I love Terrace Reed, you guys love Terrace Reed. He's the only center on this roster right now. And I don't want to see Will Cheddar out there against uh, big 10 centers uh, right now. Uh, so I'd say he's a priority a guy like Arthur Kaluma, who's currently going through the NBA draft process was a Creighton forward was a big reason why Creighton made it the elite eight last year. He's exactly the wing that can defend that can make threes that Michigan needs that this, this, this Michigan team doesn't have. We talk about in the NBA, like uh, three and D wing guys, Michigan doesn't have any of those guys. And it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's probably a nomenclature that's used too much in basketball coverage, but to, Michigan doesn't have any of those wings. That you can just rely on to do that. Maybe Namari Burnett is that, but that's the biggest case that you have for that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fill out the rest of those scholarship spots. And they have to prioritize getting scoring because right now I don't know how this team is going to, is going to score enough points to beat a lot of teams in the big 10 right now. I don't know how they're going to score enough points and I don't know how good the defense is going to be. Cause you said that we love Terrace Reed. We like Terrace Reed. Like, I don't know that there's anybody on the roster that I love and that's just going to show the overall lack of talent currently. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's not like projected talent because Terrace Reed was a highly rated recruit. Doug McDaniel, George Washington will be there, 
But is there enough talent? Is there enough time for them to get cohesion with this completely new unit to have anything that would resemble a successful season next year? Because Juwan Howard is is absolutely drowning right now, and it feels like he's just been tossed a bag of bricks. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it feels like. I, I, I'm willing to plant my flag. I love Terrace Reed. The first meaningful minutes that Terrace Reed got as a freshman, he was thrown out on the road against Iowa, asked to guard Chris Murray, a guy who's going to get drafted first round and is beginning a I second like round, and did a good job shutting him down. Backup bigs aren't supposed to do that. The Mark Denells of the world aren't supposed to do that. That's not what Terrace Reed is. Terrace Reed's a versatile defender who can dominate you in the post, who can dominate you inside, who can dominate the paint and own the glass. He just has to get better around the rim and has to get better at post moves, has to get better as a 15-footer. And if he does that, then then Michigan's going to be in a great spot, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, this is definitely a prove-it year for Jawan Howard, uh, and the roster is not kind to him. You're going to need a lot out of role players like Namari Burnett and Trey Jackson. You're going you're gonna to need guys like Jace Howard to probably play a little bit. You're going to need uh, George Washington. I kind of feel bad for the kid. He's a really, really talented commit, but you kind of have to throw him into the yeah. fire a little bit to a certain extent. Like he's a really talented scorer and is probably, I'd compare him to a combination of Eli Brooks and Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman in terms of how he plays his game and how he gets his points. But this is not an ideal situation to put a, to put a freshman into. You're going to have to ask him to play 15, 20, sometimes 25 minutes of Garger and foul trouble in these games. And, and, you're counting on a lot of unproven guys. And what's killed Michigan these past few years is counting on unproven guys, but at least they had the Hunter Dickinsons. At least they had the Kobe Buffkins. At least they had the Jet Howards. All those guys are gone now. Now you're now you're counting on the only quote-unquote proven guys you have right now are maybe Doug and maybe Terrace, and that's it. And that's a scary place to be. God, everything you're saying is just making me terrified for basketball season. Well, I'm sorry. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to come on here and just talk about sunshine and rainbows and pretend we live in this fake world where Michigan, you know, is, is the best team in the big 10 because they're not that. Yeah. Right and they're, they're not going to be that unless, unless this coaching staff does an incredible job developing these young pieces they have. So if you were Jawan Howard right now, would your first priority be landing like a transfer big, like landing that center in there to have those rotational minutes with Terrace Reed so you don't have to play Cheddar at the five? My first priority would be getting scoring. Okay. That'd be my first priority. With with having having love as a guy that you could have counted on to get, now you're you still need to replace that scoring that you're you're losing in Dickinson, Buffkin, Jet Howard. You need to replace that somehow. So my priority would be Ray J. Dennis right now, the Toledo guard, who's Averaging almost 20 points a game, incredible in the MAC. Um, he can score at all three levels. He's probably one of the best guards that's still out there. The first thing I would prioritize is scoring guards. The second thing I would prioritize is another big dispel terrace. The third thing I would prioritize is wings that can shoot threes. If they can manage to fill all three of those scholarship spots with those three guys, then you're then then you got something. Then then think- then this is this becomes the semblance of a, of a real team. I think my only pushback would be, does this team really need to prioritize another undersized guard? Because, I mean, I've heard about, like, point guards coming in with big numbers from bad conferences before because Devontae Jones was going was advertised as that and what he'd done in his conference and then came in. But do we really need two sub-5'11 guards in this backcourt? I mean, it, I, I would – I would. You, you do have a point there. The, the, the undersizedness would kill you on defense a little bit. I would just say that right now, let's say – you know, throw throw a scenario out there. Let's say Michigan's down eight with five minutes left in Purdue. Who on this current roster do you trust to go and get you a bucket right now? Because Doug McDaniel could be that guy, but right now there's not a proven guy that can go and get you those points. And as much as I'm I'm with you, like undersized guards, they they you know they get injured a lot. 
they're un, they're inconsistent. And with guys like Caleb Love, they can shoot you in, they can shoot you to win a game, they can shoot you out of a game. Yeah. But if you're gonna have a roster as depleted as Michigan has right now, you're kind of gonna need one of those guys. That's what I would say. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I I like your defense of Terrace Reed going back a little bit. I like that. Plant your flag. We're all yeah. about that here. I mean, I'm I've playing got... my Terrace Reed. Terrace Reed's a good good basketball player, and he's an interesting dude. You know, he plays he's a saxophone. saxophone. Yeah, he's a really smart. He's a really smart guy. He's not. When people think of Terrace Reed from last year. They think of a traditional backup big who's bumbling and will maybe get you a few rebounds and will maybe finish a dump down pass. Terrace Reed's not that. That's the worst case scenario for Terrace Reed. Terrace Reed could, you know, Terrace Reed is, I mean, he's not going to be the offensive player that Dickinson was, but if he's 75 to 80% of that while also being able to switch everywhere on defense and protect the rim, that fixes, that fixes a lot of your problems on both ends. Yeah, he's got a little That's bit of a ways to go with his shooting, but I mean, oh, hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. But if he can come around with that, I like the energy, the effort that he plays with, and there's an argument that he could be the best player on the team next year. I mean, that's a very yeah, real 100%. argument. Yeah, it's 100%, just, yeah, it's just like you said. I don't know what the uh, the offensive output will be. Um, yeah, so I mean, unless there's uh, anything else that we wanted to touch on, wanted to talk on uh, about Kobe Bufkin, Jet Howard, now that we kind of know how the NBA draft is going to play out a little bit as far as the lottery results, I want to talk about where you see those guys going, unless there was anything else you wanted to touch on regarding um, this, the really just piss poor state of Michigan basketball. No, I think we I think we covered a lot of it. Um, I think that I, I guess a couple quick things I'll say. Will Cheddar, this is a big year for Will Cheddar to be able to prove himself and not just be, let's be honest, the energetic white guy who comes off the bench and makes all the hustle plays, quote unquote. <laughs> you got to actually contribute and actually bring something substantial. You can't just have Ant Wright tweeting out plus minuses of your game. You actually have to have highlights that people are looking at now. Um, I would say uh, George Washington's a really, really exciting prospect, and he's going to be a guy that Michigan fans are going to love. Um, and I would say that, you know, Juwan's got a lot of work to do and we're going to learn a lot about Juwan as a coach this year. Um, now let's talk about something more positive. Kobe Bufkin. He's now going above Jet Howard in a lot of these mock drafts and the athletics mock draft with Sam Vecini, one of the best guys in the game. He's goes 10 spots above, above Jet Howard. NBA teams love Kobe Bufkin because he doesn't really have a weakness. He's great on defense on ball. He can score at the rim. He can score a three point shot. Um, he's just solid at everything. And those guys stick around in the NBA. They're not stars, but they can be role players. You see what Bruce Brown's doing with the Denver Nuggets right now, where he just put up 15 points in the last win and came off the bench and made all hustle plays and did all the defense. Why can't Kobe Bufkin beat that? And, and a better scoring version of that, at least. That's That makes me excited about Kobe Bufkin. And I, in terms of a team I see him with, I don't see him falling. Um, I know Miami picks in the 20s or so. I would I would be shocked if he falls past Miami at twenty because in terms of a Heat culture guy, he fits that mold to a T. I think he'd fit well in a lot of destinations. I think he'd fit well in the Kings. I think he'd fit well in the Warriors. I think he'd fit well at the Jazz at fourteen. Um, I really really like Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard needs to go to a place where he can continue to grow his offensive game, where he continue to develop as a mid range shooter, where he continue to develop as a shot creator. A uh, place like Utah, a place like Oklahoma City might be good for him. Um, what do you guys think? What, what NBA teams do you guys want to see these guys go to? Because I feel like I'm rambling a little no, bit. No, no, you're good, man. I love where you nailed Kobe Bufkin because I was reading uh, Kevin O'Connor's draft guide and he compared him to like Emmanuel Quickly, kind of a Tyrese Maxey. And I, I really see the, the comp with the body type, what they're going to provide in terms of both ends of the court. 
I, I no. really love Kobe's upside as a defender, especially as a spark plug off the bench and like a seven, eight man kind of role because he can hit threes and defend. And as we're seeing with like the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets, there's a lot of value for those kind of role players in the NBA today. So I'm, I'm very bullish on his potential where he could end up as high as 10 in some mocks. Uh, Jed uh-huh. Howard, I'm a little more concerned just uh, what he can do defensively. Can he grow as a defender, uh, do certain things? All the, He has all the talent in the world, but I would have liked to have seen him progress a little bit more at Michigan. I, I agree with you completely. The issue with Jet Howard is Jet Howard doesn't defend and Jet Howard doesn't rebound right now. And if you're six eight and you're going to play the three or the four in the NBA, you kind of have to do one of those things. Yeah. And he doesn't do either of them well right now. Um, what I do think will benefit Jet Howard is NBA spacing. The you know guys like Jet Howard who create off the dribble, who will thrive on three point shots and mid range shots when they get to the NBA level and they have more space to do that. I think that that's going to help Jet Howard quite a bit as a scorer. I just want to see him go to a destination where he continue to grow as a scorer. I don't want to see him thrown into the fire somewhere. I don't want to see him go to the Lakers or anything like that. A lot of people want him to go to the Lakers. I think that's the worst case scenario for him. I think he needs to go to a place where he can develop as a scorer and grow as a scorer. A team that doesn't have a lot of expectations right now, Utah, Portland, maybe Oklahoma City. They're kind of starting to turn the corner a little bit, but maybe Oklahoma City is that place for him where he can you know, fade into the second unit, continue to develop as a scorer and eventually grow into whatever his full potential is as a scorer. So I look at uh Toronto picking at 14 would be an interesting place one. for Kobe Bufkin. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. it, in particular for Kobe Bufkin, they could use some scoring. Um, they could definitely use some, some defense as well. I mean, that's what their entire system is built upon is that everybody can play. They're very switchable. So I like uh-huh. that. I, I think his floor might be LA though for Bufkin here. I think that makes a lot of sense. The, the adage has been, and it's, it's, tried and true that if you surround LeBron James with defense and shooting, you're going to do pretty well. And Kobe Buff can, can do both of those things. And I think I agree with your point about Jet Howard being thrown into a situation where he's expected to compete on a playoff team. I don't like that either, but Kobe Bufkin, I could actually see being thrown onto the Lakers and being a productive guy coming off the bench. Um, Similar player. uh, Another guy that could, they could really help them is Jordan Hawkins from UConn. Right. Do you think that Kobe Bufkin is a better draft prospect than Jordan Hawkins? Um, that's really tough. I would say yes, because he's more versatile and complete. I think that Jordan Hawkins is a better scorer purely, but I think that Kobe Bufkin is better at everything else. And so I want a guy like, like I I want a guy who at least has that baseline of of skills that he can do. So I'll say Kobe Bufkin just from that realm. If you were the Detroit Pistons, could we talk a little Detroit on the pod too? Who would you target at five? Oh man. Well, first of all, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm with you guys that it's depressing as hell that they fell to five and all the rumors right now are that three and four are the two picks that everybody's trading for. And the Pistons are just going to be stuck with whatever's left. So that, that stinks. I really like Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. I think he's going to be, he's a really bouncy guy. He's a really good scorer. I think he's a guy that can help the Pistons quite a bit in terms of what he could bring for the win, the wing position. Mich- the Pistons are a lot like Michigan where they don't really have any wings that are going to be able to contribute right now. I think, I think that'd be good. Um, a lot of everybody talks about the Pistons trading up. I wouldn't mind the Pistons trading back. A guy that I like a lot is um, Kaysen Wallace out of Kentucky. I think that guy at the bare minimum is what Jay Crowder thinks he is <laughs> in terms of <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's a three point, you know, Jay Crowder thinks He's a three-point specialist who can defend, who you can throw on any playoff team, and he contributes right away. That's baseline what I think Casey Wallace is. And those are the kind of guys that win you basketball games. 
the Pistons, everything you hear about the Pistons is they're going to try to go all in. They're going to try to, this is the year where they're going to try to try to actually make the plan turn. You can't be taking chances on the, on developmental guys. You can't be, you know, given time for guys like Grady Dick or Jet Howard, unfortunately, to figure out what their offensive game is in the NBA. You need a guy who knows what he is right away and can contribute right away. That's what Kaysen Wallace is. I really like him out of Kentucky. I wouldn't be opposed to trading. If you don't like any of the guys at five, I wouldn't be opposed to trading back to the teens and getting seeing what assets you can get for that. If a team falls in love with a Whitmore or, a, or another guy in that mid-tier range, maybe the Thompson twins, somebody's going to fall in love with them yeah. and want to trade up. I uh, I am not a big fan of of trading back and taking a safer pick and trying to go for the play in. That's just not the route that I would take. Like you're trying to eventually win a championship, and that's not done by drafting another guard. That would be three straight guard picks. Um, going Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivy. You also get Jalen Duran in there. That's a lot of draft equity spent in the back half. There, Casey Wallace is six two. Um, so while I do think he will be a good pro, I don't know that you're, that's going to even get you into the, into the play in and the ceiling's very limited there. So I would look at a Jairus Walker, yeah. a Cam Whitmore, a Taylor Hendricks or an Anthony black, uh-huh. um, like a, con- yeah. a connector, like an Anthony black. I also think is a safe pick. Like I think, that, sure. I think Anthony Black's going to play for a while and at least he's a wing. Yeah. So if I want to take yeah. a safe pick, I think I would go with Anthony Black or Jarris Walker and uh, Jarris yeah. Walker looks like he's maybe a better Patrick Williams from Chicago. Yeah. So yeah. like, if, yeah, I, I, I love Jarris. I, I'd prefer yeah. to go those routes rather than trade back and get another guard personally. Although I do like Case and Wallace a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying the Pistons should go all in for the plan. I just think that that's what the next logical step. Like, I think that that's what they're thinking would be. Yeah. Is that, 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 you know, you have your, you have your horses with Cade and Jaden and, 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 and Jalen, you know, you, you, you have to do something. And, and to be honest, you want to talk about hot seat. That's where Troy Weaver is right now. Right. The Pistons have been the worst team in the league three years in a row. Now, if you don't show some semblance of improvement, then what are we doing here? Or can we really, do all these projects and take on the James Wiseman's of the world. If you're not going to do anything to develop them, you know? So I, I, I would think that, that just the pressure of that is going to, is going to push that a little bit. But yeah. I like Jairus Walker a lot. And just as a college basketball guy, I like that Jairus Walker was part of uh, a winning culture and a winning situations in Houston. And, and Houston was the best team in, in college basketball the majority of the year last year. And Jairus Walker was a huge contributor on that. I think that means something. I think NBA teams care about Kelvin that, Sampson's so. also interviewing for NBA jobs. Uh, who, who yeah, would you, good for who him. Who would you like the tar- the Pistons to target as a head coach? Oh man, um, I really like Jerron Collins, the the Pelicans guy. The the he because he's one of the three that they interviewed initially. I really like him. I mean, the dream is Monty Williams. I don't think you, I don't think you're going to get him, but I really like Jerron Collins. He's been in, he's been a really good assistant under Willie Green the last few years. He was with the Warriors when the Warriors were. Um, at the peak of their powers with KD and those guys. And he was kind of one of their like defensive coordinators for that. I think a young guy who can grow with the pist- with the Pistons is going to be their best bet. You know, they're not that they're, they're even in the conversation to get a quality of these guys, but an older coach like Mike Budenholzer, I don't think would be a good thing for this. Pistons mm. team. I want a young coach who can develop with these guys, who these guys can relate to and who, who can, who can push these guys to do a whole lot. A guy that's kind of, a, a little bit of an opposite to what they saw with Dwayne Casey last year. Dwayne Casey was great. He's a very nice man, and I'm glad he's still involved with this <laughs> organization. But I want to see a young coach who actually can bring new stuff to this. I always like when people talk about somebody they don't like and how like don't like professionally and how like quick it takes them to say they're a nice man because that's how you know how yeah, they are yeah, at their other jobs. That's like, you know, he's a nice guy, yeah. completely terrible at sales, but he's really nice. 
Yeah. You know what? Yeah, he's yeah, no, that's 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 a situation where with Dwayne Casey, and to be fair, if 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 the NBA were a poker game, Dwayne Casey's kind of been dealt a nine and a two <laughs> the past few years in terms of actually getting getting production out of his guys and stuff. And he made the most out of that team that had Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and all those guys and got into the playoffs. That deserves some some sort of credit. But it's still, yeah. It's a sad state of affairs when the two favorite basketball teams are kind of like, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah. Kind of well, frank. That's, that's why we oh. wanted to bring you on because we're like, wow, basketball in the state of Michigan really at a low point, unless you're a Michigan State Spartan fan and then things. Oh, like, Michigan State's Michigan State's love and life right now. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> they're the State's, last bastion. Right yeah. The yeah. last bastion of decent basketball, whereas everything else is just going down the tubes really quickly. But right. Um, yeah. The last thing that uh, I, 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 I mean, you mentioned a little bit where you want Jet Howard to go like. Do you see a path forward for Jet Howard where he's a productive role player? I mean, what is his ceiling really? He he certainly can shoot the three ball. We saw that. He has one of the purest looking strokes. Is he, is he going to be athletic enough on defense, athletic enough to get his own shot to make it work somewhere? Does he have to go to like the heat in order for it to work where they just make everybody that they draft work out? The heat would be great and the heat would be in the area where he grew up. So I think that'd be a little bit of comfortability right there. And yeah, I do. Th- I, I I tend to be an optimist. I do think that there is a world where Jet Howard completely works out as a scorer, and he eventually gets up to twenty points a game. And you know, the rebounding will he he still won't be a below average rebounder and defender. But if you score twenty points a game, you're going to stick around in the NBA. I think there is a world where his three point shot continues to get better, where he grows as a, as a playmaker and as a and as a shot creator of guys, where he continues to to, to set guys up. You know, I think it'd be realistic to think that he's like, I, to be mean, it's like a, 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 a taller version of Norman Powell, where it's like he's he's your guy that's going to lead your sixth man and he's going to lead your second unit. He's going to, you don't have to worry about scoring when he's in the game. If he's shooting well, he'll be in at the end of games. But if not, then he doesn't bring a whole lot else. You know, a, a better version of Norman Powell would probably be, a great, a great situation for Jet Howard. He has more potential than that, but if he ends up being that role player that scores a lot off the bench, I think, I think that's realistic. I had, uh, I had Cam Johnson as my comp, but I like. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. What a great segue. What a great segue to six, eight Michigan guys. You know, struggle to play defense at the next level. (laughs) Duncan Robinson having a moment here with Heat culture. Like, I mean, say what you will about his on-ball defense. Like he rotates, he tries. He's very smart on the court. And the Heat seem to have somebody stepping up every other night off the bench, whether it's Caleb Martin, whether it's Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, most recently in game two. What are your thoughts on Duncan Robinson? How awesome is it to see him just kind of still find moments and opportunities to flourish in one of the biggest stages of the season? I'm really happy I'm seeing it because I didn't think I'd see it again after the 2020 finals. If I'm being honest, like that 2020 heat team that made it to the, that was, that was in the finals in the bubble. He was a big reason why they were doing that. He was making shots in the NBA finals. I never thought I'd see a Michigan role player, you know, contributing in the NBA finals. That, that, that was really, really cool to see. And while the defense has been a main, a big hang up for him and people love to make fun of his expensive contract when the heat didn't play him a whole lot in the regular season. But now when, when crunch time's happening and the heat need him to play, he's, he's been, he's been playing really well and he fits it. It's, it's a lot of those, the heat have a lot of those guys that like the, you guys are Bill Simmons guys that nobody believes in those guys, you know, the Max Drews, the Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson fits in that mold. And when he's hitting threes and he's contributing to your offense and he's swinging the ball around and he's, he's confident, like, I want that guy on my basketball team. And it's, it, I'm, I'm glad to see that he's thriving again. 
because quite honestly, as I, I, I didn't think I'd see that for the 2020 finals. So it, it's great to see him continue to contribute. Again. Completely agree, man. We were uh, pretty out on that contract at one point, as a, I think a lot of people were on the Duncan Robinson contract. Yeah. But honestly, like with this heat team, the zombie heat team, as you mentioned, the Bill Simmons lines there, like it doesn't really matter who's coming on. They're just really, really deep with guys that have that fu attitude and duncan robinson has yeah. that like the nobody believes in this attitude and to see him now like showing out and probably going to the finals again i agree with you just having a and, michigan role player and a beloved one like Dump- duncan robinson that we can watch week in and week out it's been awesome man right it's been awesome and like and the crazy thing the crazy thing is that duncan is having all this success without watching the town four times a week like i, I don't know how he's how he's managing to do it without getting the inspiration of watching those guys make the robberies and the nun masks like like Joe Missoula gets that every week. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm impressed that Duncan can play as well as he does without watching, you know, Look, like the fifth best uh, robbery movie that's ever existed. Uh, well, I don't know. Children <laughs> should have a easy now. Easy now. I mean, children should have a day off of school for Jeremy Renner's performance in that movie. Like that's not that's not out of pocket. <laughs> No, I just, I, I, I it just, it was so funny to me when Joe Mazzula came out with that Ridiculous. quote where he was like, yeah, I watched the movie four days a week and he got rightfully <laughs> roasted for it. Like, can you imagine, can you imagine the amount of crap that Dan Campbell would come out with if the Lions lost like two games in a row? And he was like, you know what, guys, I watched eight mile four times this week <laughs> and I watched the battle rap scene and Clarence's parents had a really good marriage. And I think the Lions are going to have a really good football team. Can you imagine the, the Michigan media would eviscerate it's it? So I'm so glad it's happening in Joe That's rightfully should. That's nine hours of movie going experience. Like I don't even have that kind of time. How does Joe Missoula have nine hours a week to give up to the town? Because he doesn't call timeouts. He has a lot more free time. Yeah, that's true. Save it on the media timeouts. Oh man. Right. All right. Kellen, thank you for coming on, sir. This is always a pleasure. We appreciate you coming on and parsing through what is the hellscape of Michigan basketball currently. But uh, at least we got you here to parse through it, brother. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I, I always have fun talking to you guys, and and, and I, I really appreciate it. Anytime you need people to come on and talk hoops and make fun of guys who watch the town four days a week, I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> outstanding sir that's gonna do it for us on out of the blue make sure you like share subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or that spotify apple music or wherever you can follow us on twitter at maize and brew i'm jared that's andy this is out of the blue we'd like to remind you that wherever you go go blue